Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and as we look at your perfect face, we realize that there is nothing, there is nothing we can boast in. There is nothing we can cling to in, in our words, in our lives, uh, in, in our thoughts. There's nothing we can bring before your throne that would be pleasing in your sight other than when we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you level the playing field and that as we come to you, we come as brothers and sisters. And some may be here this morning coming to you, just questioning, querying who you are and who they are before you. And we pray for them and we pray for, for those of us who do know you that you would continue to speak to us today. Help us to see what it is to be a Christian. Help us to see what it is to be a disciple and what joy that brings and how that brings you glory. So please, Heavenly Father, deliver us from uh, the thoughts and the cares of the world. Send your Spirit to convict us of areas that need to change. Encourage those who need comfort and hope. And for those, Lord, for all of us, Lord, may we be conformed more and more to your glorious image. And we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 9 together. I wonder how you would define, how you would explain to someone what it is to be a Christian. You know, in this day and age when everyone likes to define things their own way, their own perspective, their understanding, we, we get lots of different answers to what does it mean to be a Christian. For some it might just mean, you know, every few years we have that census that goes around and there are various boxes that you tick, what religious affiliation. For some people they say to be a Christian is ticking the right box. For others... It's knowing the right things, so knowing about the Bible, knowing about church. Or it might not just be knowing about things, it might be doing the right things. So it could be praying, it could be reading the Bible, going to church. Now some of these things, actually many of these things can be very helpful. But you know the best mark of what it is to be a Christian? According to Jesus, when you put all things else aside... One of the best things to know whether you're a Christian is whether to know whether you're a disciple. Interestingly, when you read through the four Gospels, you never see the word Christian. You know, the first time you hear and talk, hear people talk about Christians is in Acts, when they're in Antioch. So throughout all of Jesus' ministry, they're not known as Christians, they're called disciples. Now, discipleship isn't a word that's used very often in church today. We like to, to hide behind this word Christian, which is cultural, it's what our thinking is, it's what we do. But just like in this passage that we read, um, in, in verses 18 to 20, it's one of those things where Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? Well, there's lots of answers to what people say who Jesus is, and, and rightly so. Uh, people say, well, what is a Christian? So he explains to them... The most important identity is to be a disciple. And we're going to look at verses 23 to 24 together. Let's read these verses. 
Jesus says to them, and this is after he has clearly identified who he is, and he says to them, if anyone was to come after me, or would like to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it mean when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me? The emphasis here isn't simply understanding facts. Clearly his disciples have understood that he is Christ, the, the Messiah of God. But in a sense that's not enough. He wants them to do something with that. Facts are important, they're necessary, but they're insufficient. You see, discipleship is actively coming after, it's actively following Jesus. And it should alter every aspect of our lives. If you're a Christian, if you, if, if you are a disciple of Jesus, I often say this in my church, I should be able to tell that. Do people have diaries? People have phones? People have schedules? I should be able to, or someone should be able to say, I can tell from your diary that it's different to someone who's not a Christian. Now how do you, how do you know that? Well, you'll, you'll mark out in your diary, if you're into marking out your diary, things that are important to you. So, so I heard um, Ray and Ali uh, made a dash from the Central Coast. They may not have put it in their diary, but by their actions, people don't leave holidays to come to church unless that is important to them, unless, unless they're Christians. I know people who go on holidays, and when they go on holidays, they go on holidays from everything. They take a holiday from worshipping God, from fellowshipping. And like I say, whether you're up the Central Coast or you know in Victoria, I always encourage my people, if you're gone for a couple of weeks, you make sure you fellowship, you encourage, because that's what Christians do. Sometimes people liken life to driving. You're going on a journey. Life is a journey. And for some people, they think that being a Christian is when you come along the side of the road, whether it's in your teens or as a young adult, and you see Jesus by the side of the road, as it were, and you stop and you want a little bit of guidance in your life, so you open the door, you invite Jesus to come in and go for a ride with you. And you're there driving the car, and you just take advice from Jesus, whether to turn left here, to go a little slower, go a little bit faster. But what's central to all of that is you are driving the car. You've only invited Jesus in to make your life a little bit easier, a little bit smoother. Jesus isn't a life advisor. He's not a life coach. Throughout the scriptures, the most common title for Jesus... It's not saviour, as important as that is. Again, in the, in the Gospels, you will never see that. They call Jesus Lord. It's someone who rules. Someone who is in charge of our life. And disciples, Christians, have been bought at a price. And the picture is that we, invite, we don't invite Jesus on board. It's like Jesus asks us, he commands us to get out of the driver's seat and we go with him. 
He says, come with me. He says, follow me. Now for, all, for this to happen, it says in verse 23, we have to do something that's very painful. It's very uncomfortable for us. And he says, we have to deny ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. We have to sacrifice ourselves. Going along with this analogy, what this looks like is we actually have to take our fingers off the steering wheel. You know, we're so conscious of what we're going to study, what we're going to work, where we're going to work, what we're going to do with our lives, who we're going to marry, how many kids we're going to have. We're so conscious of driving this car that Jesus says, no, no, let go of this steering wheel, hand over the keys, get out of the car. Now, we do this in an absolute sense. We do this when we first repent and believe, don't we? When we become a Christian, we hand over our life to Jesus. You see, we need to do this because we're all born with a, a, an independent mindset. You know, we're, we're, we're all in charge of our lives. And the world adds fuel to this. Tell me, uh, for those who are parents, those who are aunts or uncles, those who have little kids in their family, do you have to encourage your child to be a free thinker or independent? Do you have to encourage them to say no? Do you have to teach them to, to rebel? It may surprise you that as a child, I, I was a difficult child, and my parents had to work hard for me, but I went through life wanting to do what made me happy, what I was entitled to, what I choose to do. It's, it's, I choose to do this. I want to do that. It's, it's what I deserve. And I suspect many here, actually the 7 billion people on the planet, that's how we're born. Our sinful selves tell us we're in charge of our lives. No one can tell me what to do. You know, there is a, there's this acronym out there, uh, YOLO, and I know many people don't know, even know what that is, but for, for some, it's like you only live once, you're going to embrace it, you're going to make choices that are important to you, no one's going to tell you what to do. So when Jesus says, Christian, disciple, follower, you have to deny yourself, that is like a cold shower, that is a shock to the system. Because it challenges our selfishness, our wisdom, our dreams, our goals. And when Jesus says, deny yourself, this isn't a conditional surrender. This isn't, I will surrender my life to you, Jesus, on Sunday mornings between these times and even a Bible study, but the rest of the week, I'm just going to do my own thing. So this is a full, unconditional surrender where we die to self and we live for Christ. So what might this practically look like? Every single person in this room has a hope, has a, has a dream, has a desire. Young in life, you, you may hope to travel, dream that you're going to have a particular job, get married, have kids. Later in life, you have different dreams. It, it might be about relationships. And these aspirations, these goals, these desires in and of themselves, are, there's nothing wrong with them in, inherently. But what happens, what happens when 
you get that dream job. You, you've worked hard. You've got the grades. But what if that dream job means that you might have to compromise on your Christian walk? You might be required to do things in the office that you're uncomfortable with, a, a bit loose with the truth. Might have to fudge some numbers to make sure that the whole group gets its Christmas bonus. I mean, if, if, if you don't feel that incorrectly, the half dozen people you're around, they're not going to get their Christmas bonus. So what do you do? Oh, that, that might seem a bit black and white. What if your job just means that you don't have time to come to church? Commit yourself to, to the work here. Maybe it's midweek studies. Invest in your family. Well, what if it's not about work? What if it's a relationship? What if you're involved in a relationship just as friends, where there are some people that you enjoy their company, you have similar interests, but often the conversation ends up in places that, that are not helpful, that aren't glorifying to Christ. And you find yourself laughing along with them, or even denying Christ in those situations. Is that job, is that relationship so important to you that you couldn't give it up? You couldn't alter it for Christ? What about our homes? Whether it's a studio, whether it's a four-bedroom house, whether you're renting or whether you have a mortgage, we save, we sacrifice for our homes, don't we? But how is it? How, how do we use our homes any differently to the world? You know, in the scriptures it says that Christians are to use their homes for hospitality, to entertain the saints and even strangers. How often do we use what God has given us, our time, our assets? How often do we deny ourselves to serve Him? Denying ourselves, this call from Jesus, is very painful because it cuts to the heart of our selfishness. No one likes to be told how to manage their relationships. No one likes to be told how to use their homes. No one likes to be told how to study, what type of jobs to do. Oh, sure, we'll take on advice. But ultimately, if we are the final decision maker, then we have to ask ourselves, who is the king of our lives? Who is the Lord of our lives? Now note here that this is not just a one-off. <coughs> it's not just a conversion. It is an ongoing process. As you go along the way, as you go in your Christian life in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond, difficulties arise, don't they? As a teenager, um, we used to have to run cross countries. I went to an all-boys school. 
Terrible, terrible experience. Try to blot it out of my mind. I'm great at science and maths and not too bad at English as well, but running, not great, especially cross-country. And one of the things I used to do is make you run around some oval, some park. And the older you got, the more laps you had to do. And the longer the race went, there were often many temptations just to cut corners. Instead of going right to the corner, maybe... Isn't there that temptation in the Christian life? The temptation to... Yes, we deny ourselves when we first come to Jesus. But I'm, I'm just feeling a little bit tired today. Mind you, I had all the strength and energy to, to stay up last night and party with my friends. But I, I'm just feeling a little tired. I feel like I'm coming down with something today. Gathering with the saints. I just read my Bible at home. But we don't want to make too big a song and dance about that. But to me, that's a little like cutting corners. Think of other areas of life. The things we watch. The things we listen to. There are times when we would have said, oh, I, I'd never think about that. I'd never watch that. I'd never go there. And yet over time, we start thinking to ourselves, it's not that bad. Really? Is it? But this is perhaps one of the most recent and subtle heresies that has come into the church. And this is the, the one where if you don't feel like it, you just don't, don't, just don't do it. I mean, we wouldn't want to be accused of being hypocritical, would we? I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like... I just don't feel like it today. So I won't do it because... If I was to do that, I wouldn't be genuine. I'd, I'd, I'd be being a hypocrite. I, I wouldn't... I feel like... I, I just don't feel like it. The idea that we have to be genuine, authentic, that has crept into the life of the church. Where you don't feel like coming to the working bee. You don't feel like coming to the prayer meeting. And so... To be consistent with our feelings, we just won't do it. And if anyone was to challenge us about it, we would say, "Well, you, 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 you can't tell, you can't speak to me about that." But Jesus says, "Deny ourselves to do something that is good and right in the Scriptures, even if you don't feel like it. It's not being hypocritical." It's denying self. There are many things I don't want to do as a Christian. But I know it's right. And why do I know it's not? Why do I know it's right? It's not because of my feelings. Because my feelings go up and down every day. What doesn't change is God's word. The other thing that doesn't change is God's grace for us to overcome those feelings of laziness, of indifference, there are plenty of times you and I won't feel like putting Jesus first. And this holiday season is one of those times. This is a time when people 
tend to take their foot off the accelerator, as it were, in their Christian life. I mean, many here have worked hard, many have served, maybe many have ministered and prayed. And now we have all this spare time. How many people here will spend more time reading and praying now that they have all that spare time? I know it's for me, it's a challenge. To deny ourselves means that we put Christ and his kingdom first. And also with this holiday season upon us, uh, for those who are going on long journeys, whether it's up the F3 or down the south coast or over the ranges, you're going to come across signs, aren't you? Those portable signs and those signs say, stop, revive, survive. Sometimes in a, in a twisted sort of way, we think Jesus needs a break from driving. And there are times when we feel, you know, Lord, you've helped me throughout this year. You've helped me throughout various seasons in my life, but I actually feel that I know how this road, how this next chapter of my life is going to work out best. So why don't you take a break and I'll just drive for this next little period in my life. Well, the thing is, Jesus is the only one who's capable, who's qualified to take us safely home. Stop having wrestles with Jesus. Stop fighting with him to, to win back autonomy and independence back in our life. Revive our trust in the Lord Jesus to rule, to be Lord in every aspect of life and survive. But you know, other than denying ourselves, Jesus has this other wonderful promise for us. You don't hear it in many churches. It's this wonderful promise that says, take up your cross. Sadly, in many churches, in many organisations, they don't say Jesus asks us to take up a cross. They say Jesus says, take up your beach towel, your esky, your picnic rug, and life will be all better with Jesus. Come with me and follow Jesus and he will improve your health, your wealth, and everything gets better. Well, if that's the case, I'm not quite sure why Jesus take, uses this analogy. He, he doesn't say take up comfort. He says take up a cross. Sure, obeying Jesus will make certain things in life easier, but discipleship, if you were a Christian... If you're a Christian, there is a sense in which if your life is not, if your life doesn't contain elements of discomfort because you're a Christian, then you have to ask yourself whether you are carrying this cross. Now, for example, in Jesus' day, the cross meant something. For us, it's a bit romanticized. We're a bit divorced. We're a bit uh, immune from this. 
Back then it was a symbol of ridicule and shame. And many of the promises of Jesus, even the Beatitudes, you know those wonderful things that Jesus gave in the Sermon of the Mount? The blessings are always written in the context of adversity, of difficulty. Blessed are those who persecute you. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, how many people here have a strong and vibrant testimony in their workplace? Will, will people love our testimony at work? Tomorrow morning, when you go to work, I know uni's out, so you're not going to go to classes. When people ask you how your week was, what did you do on the weekend? How many people will say, I went to worship God. I sang his praises. I met with the saints. I was challenged. I was encouraged. How many people say that? Not many people. And the reason we say that we don't is because we know people will think we're nutjobs. We're crazies. We had a girl baptised at our church last Sunday. And her testimony was she first came to our church to convince us all that we were all crazies. And then in front of 20 family and friends she said, and now I'm one of them. I'm one of the crazies as well. Sharing our testimony, speaking openly about our love for Jesus, people will persecute us. They may not pick up stones and throw them at us, but they'll laugh. They'll say, you've lost your mind. Does following Jesus make our families closer, tighter? Well, if you're all Christians, yeah, maybe that's the case. But if there are those who aren't Christians, extended family perhaps, Jesus says he's come with a sword to divide families. There will be times your family wants you to do things that is at odds with how Jesus wants you to live your life. And there will be difficult times. You see, taking up our cross means that if we follow Jesus, we have to put him first. And that means that we will encounter suffering in every area of life, whether that's physical suffering, whether that's emotional isolation. I just got an email, prayer request for um, people uh, in the Middle East. I know it's not high on the agenda in the newspaper, so we may have forgotten this, but I I had a prayer request for families and workers. I can't remember the town, but they said um, militants were coming in and they were targeting Christian families and they were particularly targeting children. They weren't attacking the parents and they would find children who were professing Christians and they would challenge them to renounce Christ. Give up Christ and you will live. Well, four of these young children refused to renounce Christ. 
and they lost their lives. So I ask myself, I ask you, how's your faith going? Are we prepared to take up the cross? Those children who gave up their lives for the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ. There are people around the world right now being challenged by those stories. Because of their faith, because of their commitment, because they chose to take up the cross. For us in the West, for us who live in a a country that has such a strong Christian legacy, it's really comfortable to be a Christian outwardly. It's hard to see. We flinch, we run when people just don't, when people look at us funny. Well, did you hear the story about the comfy Christians? You you know that passage in the scriptures? Do, Do you remember that passage? Yeah, a lot of people going, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there is one passage. Um, you may have missed it. There aren't many passages about comfy Christians in the Bible because that's just not the Christian life. But there is one passage that I draw your attention to. It's in Revelation. You know, there's addresses to all those churches. And he talks about a church and he says... He doesn't use the word comfy Christians. That's, that's, that's my phrase. He calls them lukewarm Christians. Neither hot nor cold. Whether this is a church geographically or whether it's a church in time and space, I figure if the shoe fits, wear it. What's he say to those comfy, lukewarm Christians? Jesus' words. Quite graphic. It's going to spit us out. And I say us because if I'm comfy, if I'm lukewarm, there's no pastoral immunity. It's for for all of us. Well, just briefly, for a moment, what if we don't take up our cross? What if we don't deny ourselves? Are we just lazy Christians, weak Christians? You know, Charles Spurgeon... He had this great quote. He says, There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. Don't expect to wear a crown in heaven if you're not prepared to wear the cross below. If we are not prepared to daily take up our cross, And the scriptures say that we're probably not Christians. How can it say that? Well, because the ability to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, isn't from within ourselves. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your hearts, in my heart, as difficult as cross-bearing is, we will be doing it in increasing measure. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, verse 25, or verse 26, Jesus doesn't say, if, if, 
If we're ashamed of him, it's all okay. We like to reinvent these words to give ourselves, um, I don't know, pardon. But Jesus says if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. And you've probably thought, well, you know, I've, I've heard Stanmore's pretty fundy, pretty fundamentals. I mean, this is a bit scaremongering now. It's a bit black and white. It's a bit yes or no. It's a bit binary. But if we read verse 24, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We have a choice, you see. If we choose to die to self daily, as painful as it inconvenient as that is there's a promise of eternal life but if we try to shelter ourselves we try to run from persecution we see comfort and compromise that's what verse 24 is saying then there's only eternal death Why wouldn't genuine Christians deny self for eternity? God grants faith to all those who trust the promises of God. The question really is, will we glorify God in our bodies for eternity? Is is Jesus worth it? Is he that good, that glorious, that we would deny ourselves? You know, from a worldly perspective, people here will save, will give up coffees, will give up going out to tie every week or whatever it is, save up for a mortgage, uh, for a house or buy, you know, for a holiday or for a car. We forego temporal pleasures for temporal blessings. That makes sense. Surely we will go te- forego temporal blessings for eternal blessings. Well, Jesus says he's worth it. We're going to close with this. If you want to follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, not just ticking the census box, not just because you were raised in a Christian family, I'm here to remind you that he is an all-or-nothing God. He backs himself. Jesus says, come after me because I am worth it. He says, inherit, you can inherit the whole world. You could trade that all in, trade in ten worlds. And it's nothing compared to simply being at the feet of Jesus. The world could lord you, can honour you, can praise you. You have a thousand Facebook friends. You can be the life of the party. You can be promoted year after year. If the world loves you because of compromise and comfort, then we need to take heed. You know, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 84, just to show that it's consistent with that throughout all the scriptures, it says, one day, one single day, just in your court, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. One single day, just to see a glimpse of your glory is better than a thousand elsewhere. Is Jesus worth it? 
Absolutely. But the amazing thing is Jesus died for us who are not worth it. He died for us, for sinners. He's died so that we can have new life, eternal life. And he calls all of us, those of us with new life, to put to death, to continually, daily, deny self and take up our cross. What's the motivation? It's going to be our salvation. That's not our motivation. We put ourselves to death because we know that we need to point to someone who is worth it, someone far greater. Your heart may struggle with daily discipleship. My heart struggles with it, with denying self and taking up the cross. We may struggle with it, but we will desire it. And when we desire it, we'll pray for it. And when we pray for it, we'll pray for it for one another. What will you give up? What will I give up? What will we put to death? What will we we take on board for Jesus? Let's pray for grace to, to live lives worthy of the worthy one. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess that even the most faithful person in this room to the least faithful, we have fallen far short of your glory. Lord, there are times when we can reflect on our life when we were so passionate, so zealous, so diligent in serving you, in witnessing for you, in denying self. But there are times as well, Lord, when we're just cruising along. Lord, in this world that you've placed us in, a world that's perishing, they don't need to see lukewarm Christians. They don't need to see more lukewarm Christians because there's enough in this world. Well, they want to see Christians who would give up their reputations, who would give up their comfort, even like brothers and sisters around the world who would, who would give up their lives. And when we're that passionate and that zealous because of the Spirit working in our lives, that's when people will stop and say, why do you do what you do? Oh, Father, forgive us and grant us the grace to to turn back to you. I pray for, for every person here, for every believer here, that you would give them the grace to persevere, to press on, to love and embrace Jesus more each day. We'd let go of sin. And Father, as we uh, in a moment come to remember how you took up the cross for us. We pray that that would motivate us to serve you more. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.